0: You're drowned by my perfect fire, my perfect
1: life. Welcome to the podcast. Everybody, we are the lanky guys. This is the word on the hill. We are the lanky guys. My name is Dr. Scott Powell.
0: We have guilt. We have fault. We are
1: ungovernable. Father Peter is singing uh, sections from the Chazan song Kol Nidre. Which is the Yom Kippur traditional prayer that would be prayed on Friday of this year? Yep, and so we're uh, we're on Thursday, yes. and tomorrow. Oh, that's would be, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow would be the Yom Kippur. Father and I were just talking about uh, the Old Testament feast of Yom Kippur, and um, I did a little class on it last night, and so I was trying to blow his mind with all the Christological connections. And boy, howdy! So he's got rabbinic <laughs> tunes in his head now, dude. I I just have to say,
0: where where did I learn the term boy howdy? I don't even know, man.
1: I don't know. That is a fair question. Well, the, <coughs> then, Why am I talking so NPR-y? Dude, Sorry. <laughs> Welcome uh- to NPR.
0: Welcome to NPR. My name is Dr. Potter.
1: They always have me. weird names, don't they?
0: Like Potter, Netta
1: Ulibi and, and Maya Lamarison. Maya Lamarison? I don't dude? know. Courtney, MIA, L- Maya Larison. Maya, L- Maya. L-
0: Maya. You know, one of, my, one of my favorite podcast names is Starly Kine.
1: Starly Kine. I don't yeah, know dude, Starly Kine.
0: Dude, she did the mystery podcast, but then it got canceled randomly by the Gimlet Media.
1: It was times are hard, man. Times are hard. But speaking th- of times being hard, and actually that's a great segue into the twenty-sixth Sunday of Ordinary Time. Which is also, by the way,
0: um first Sunday of October, which is also known as the feast of the Therese of Lisieux.
1: Oh, the first yeah. Is that right?
0: Little Therese Therese of the Child, Jesus. Oh, she's the best, man. She's like one of those, she's kind of a rock star saint. Little T,
1: And And she would hate being a rock star saint. That's the thing about her.
0: Well, no, I think that she's fine with it in heaven, but er, on earth- She's fine with
1: it. I don't know if she's thrilled about it.
0: I would be thrilled, and that's why
1: I'm going to be- You would be thrilled. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you're going to be an end companion.
0: Dude, that's exactly it. Dude, I'm going to be like last on the list of companions. But I, who, will, who will lead the charge?
1: Who will lead us? Who will this, go for us?
0: Who will go for us? Ezekiel will. Yeah, and that's yeah. our first reading, which is
1: um, 18, 25 to 28. All right. That's Ezekiel. Our second, our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 25, verses 4 through 5, 6 through 7, and 8 through 9.
0: Followed by our uh, <clears throat> Philippians, which is the segundo lectura. Mm. Um, which you can have a longer or shorter form in the canonic hymn. Oh. Um, Philippians, the long form is 2, 1, two, 11.
1: Yeah, what do you think we're going to choose? Um,
0: we're going to choose the uh, short form today. No, we're not. Always. Do we in a... Oh, what do you mean always? We
1: never That's do. When By always, I mean never. <sighs> Our gospel is coming from Matthew chapter 21, verses 28 through thirty. And
0: uh, that was that was you. Oh yeah. Okay. Here we you go. Right? Man. Yeah. I, I you got sure? confused.
1: I thought I was supposed to do the gospel, but then I was confused. No, because you did the Philippians. I'll confess this. I suppose I spent so little time in the actual first reading because I was spending all of the time in the rest of the chapter to try to help make sense of the actual reading. So I kind of forgot what the actual <laughs> reading said. To be honest with you. Oh, I'll, I'll be. I'll admit. Scott. That's why uh, I pay you the big bucks. That's man. why I am paying the big bucks. Yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> to read the context. All right, Ezekiel. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, <laughs> quick me. bullet point overview of the book of Ezekiel. We're talking about the exile. The exile. Um, Ezekiel is a con- uh, is a contemporary of a little bit after Isaiah, around the time of Jeremiah. So these are all the prophets that are sort of witnessing. You know, prophets have been warning Israel. For ages, for a long time, that if you don't turn back, if you don't go back to the covenant, if you don't start worshiping God and living right lives, there's going to be punishment, and you're going to lose Israel, and you're going to lose the temple, and foreigners will come in and tear things down, and all of that happens, right? That the Israel is, is hold off in exile and wiped out, and it's horrible. Ezekiel is interesting because he gets a different point of view on the whole event. So Ezekiel, I remember, was taken in one of the first waves of exile. So when Babylon came in to destroy uh, Israel and Jerusalem, they took people in waves of exile. So they went in first. Before they destroyed the whole city, they went around and they found the people they thought could be of value to them, right? The the higher skilled workers and the smarties and the doctors and the lawyers and everybody who they thought they could take to Babylon and put to work. And then they went in, they got kind of the, the rest of the folks and anybody else that they thought was useful, and then they would go back and kill everybody left. So it was sort of their their three-pronged strategy. Ezekiel goes in one of the first rounds. And so he's in Babylon, in exile, in slavery, essentially. But he gets called up by God into a vision where he gets to watch all of the events unfolding from God's perspective. So it's a really interesting book because he's watching the same event that Jeremiah, for example, is watching. Jeremiah's on the ground, and he's like, oh, man, this is getting really bad. <laughs> the right. walls are coming down. And Ezekiel's like, yeah, the walls are coming down, but I see it from God's point of view, which is it's a very interesting book.
0: Okay. You know, it's interesting, and just as an aside, is that uh, iconography usually actually tries to see it from the perspective of God. That's why all the lines are weird. Absolutely right. And it's not in proper perspective, and you're seeing multiple perspectives at once. Somebody should do an
1: icon of Ezekiel. I've never seen one. Yep. Cuz that would be. That would be very, cool. m- very meta. Yeah. Isn't that meta? That's not really meta.
0: Yeah, I mean it is. I mean me- meta means beyond. Yeah. So like a metaphysics means beyond physics. So if it's meta, you're actually looking at beyond the perspective of humanity. So it'd be it'd be a meta anthropos.
1: <laughs> this yeah. is getting weird.
0: Hey man, uh, this is my
1: fault. I'm trying to wrap my mind around it. the is way your, that you think. That is the your fault. We, uh, I have sinned. I am ungovernable. <laughs> uh, I am unpodcastable. Unpodcastable. That's okay. me, dude. No, no, you're great. Okay, chapter 18. So again, where we we are thrown in. Now, what we're given is this line that says, "The Lord's way is not fair." It, it's so funny to me. <laughs> I was looking at it this week. It's almost as if the very first reading this week is a response to the very last reading from last week. Yes. Remember that whole gospel with the workers and some come late and we are like, it's not fair. Well, that's where we pick up. Okay. You don't think that last week was fair? Let's talk about that a yeah. little bit. Well, I, I mean, I think
0: that as far as human experience goes of the, the, the dynamics of a deep spiritual
1: life mm. is expressed in Ezekiel. Yeah, it is. But, but check this out. This is a fascinating chapter. It's actually one of my, I think it's one of the most profound, on on a very practical, down-to-earth, everyday life, we're trying to slog through this, this world, trying to be faithful. This is one of the most important passages in the Bible. That's a big statement. Scott. But in my whoa. experience with sharing this with people, I mean, it, it this does things to folks. So in chapter 18, here's the question that they're dealing with. Okay. Now, again, they're witnessing and they're hearing about and watching exiles taking place. We've lost our home. We've lost Jerusalem. Everything is gone. And so chapter 18 is this question. It's addressing the problem that the exiles are facing. And it's basically this idea that our fathers have sinned. Well, this is a line from Ezekiel. The fathers have sinned, and so their children's teeth are set on edge. We are suffering in exile. We are and we're we're years into it by this point. We're suffering in exile. We're we're dealing with all these terrible things because our fathers made really bad choices. Our parents sinned. Our parents were unfaithful to the law. Our parents broke the covenant. And now we're paying the price, and that stinks because that feels kind of unfair, right? It feels it, like inheriting a gigantic national debt. It yes, it does. So this idea that the children are paying the price of the sins of the fathers and this is this is the sort of fatalism that permeates a lot of the Bible. It's not It's not God's will. It's not God's teaching. This is never something the Bible says is true. But it's something a lot of people within the Bible experience. Remember, this is happening with Elizabeth and Zechariah. There's this idea that they can't bear children until John the Baptist. And Luke goes out of his way to point out, it's not because they're bad. They didn't sin somehow, or their parents didn't sin, or their forefathers didn't sin and made them barren. It's This is just what happened. Does that make sense? Yes. Anyway, so um, again there's this allusion in chapter 18 to Deuteronomy 13. Remember, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30 was that very famous chapter after they came out of exile, they've crossed the red sea and God basically says, okay, now is your moment to choose between life and death. It's your choice. What are you going to do? Forget about Egypt. Forget about where you've come from. Look forward. Um, so the other interesting thing about this chapter is it talks about generations. So the fathers have sinned and now who's bearing this fruit. Um, are we, going to be, are we going to be doomed because of these sins? I had a I had a seminarian
0: friend who um, covered his whole mirror over um, except for one thing where he had a sticky note so that he could comb his hair. And it had the, that line, choose today, life or death. <laughs> oh, and then he, had, he had to take the sticky note off to comb his hair. In which like, way
1: is he going to part his hair? Dude, this is the... To so the left is death, to the right <laughs> <side> is life. <laughs> um, but, okay, cut to the chase. This chapter is basically saying, "No, you are free. What your fathers and your parents have done, just because your parents have sinned, does not make." I actually want to read it because I'm not my my summing it up is not doing it justice. I want to read from verse ten really quick. We're in chapter eighteen, verse ten, and the reading um,
0: is from twenty five to twenty eight. In case you're wondering, I know.
1: So we're we're a little bit before that. Actually, I'm going to back up. Um, verse five. It says, if a man is righteous and he does what is rightful and just lawful and right, if he doesn't eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel, doesn't defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman in her time of impurity, doesn't oppress anyone, blah, 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 doesn't rob, doesn't lend it at interest. Um, verse eight doesn't lend an interest, take increase, withholds his hand from iniquity. If he executes true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes, if he's careful to observe my ordinances, if he is righteous, he shall surely live, says the Lord. If he begets a son who is a robber, a shedder of blood, who does none of these duties, but eats on the mountains—that's a, a pagan um, temples and uh, banquets, right? If he eats upon the mountains, if he defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and needy, if he commits robbery, doesn't restore the pledge, lift up his eyes to the idols, if he commits abomination, if he lends an interest, takes an increase, shall he then live? No, he shall not live. He has done all of these abominable things. He shall surely die, but his blood will be upon himself. Ezekiel is going hard after this idea that just because the fathers have sinned, or the parents have sinned, that has nothing to do with what's going to happen to the children. Because, frankly... Or the opposite. The
0: The children sinning is not going to actually redound just upon the parents. Say that again. If the if the child's son goes and goes up on the mountain, then it's not going to reflect upon the parents. Right. It's on his head. It's
1: the truth is that he's been formed, and it's on his head. Yeah, and the fact of the matter is, and this is why this is so important. I know so many holy, faithful, wonderful parents. Who have kids that have turned their backs on the faith, turned right. their backs on God's gone. And, and there's probably people who spend so many sleepless nights saying, why, what did we do wrong? Where did we go wrong? Where did we make the mistake? And Ezekiel is saying, you know what? Sometimes you just have to accept the fact that kids will go their own way. And at the same time, I know plenty of really lousy parents who have kids that turn out to be saints. Right. and holy giants. Right. It's not fatalistic. And again, this is a nice... Abs- well, it's it's not abstract because I think we can all sort of think about this experience and we all have a, a connecting. I sure hope with all of my heart my children will grow up to know and love the Lord. But they might not. And right. they might turn their backs on that. And there could come a day where I have to say... Did I do something, or is this, you know, and, and really reflect in a real way? Did I make mistakes? I'm sure I did. I mean, I can't imagine all the therapy I'm going to make my kids go to because of my own my own stuff. But that. But at some point, <laughs> it's their decision, and vice versa. You know, if if I'm terrible and they choose holiness, it doesn't reflect on me. And and it, it gets very personal in the time of Ezekiel because they've just had a few, a couple generations before. Remember, they had righteous King Josiah, and Josiah was the one who everybody fought, thought, finally, he'll save Israel. It was during the time that the northern kingdom was being wiped out. Josiah discovers the book of Deuteronomy, and he's like, holy shoot. We um, haven't been following this book. We didn't do any of this stuff. We've got to reform. Let's call everyone back to God. Remember right. Josiah? Yeah. And he was cut down on the plains of Megiddo in his 30s. This righteous king cut down the prime of his life. Amazing, holy. He, he trumps David in terms of holiness. Absolutely. Right? David commits, he, he has great repentance, but Josiah, he's amazing. But he has a kid named Jeho- uh, Jehoiakim who's horrible, and he basically undoes every <laughs> single reform his father put in place, Ugh. and he brings it all back. And Jehoiakim has a kid named Zedekiah, and at this point in the story, Zedekiah is in charge. And I think one of the things Ezekiel is saying is, Zedekiah, you have a choice. You don't have to follow in the ways of your dad he did horrible things you are free to choose to follow god and thus save all of israel if you want to because you have a choice to choose between life and death and there's this fatalism that says no my father did this i have to do the same thing but josiah was also sort of your father and he did the opposite you have to choose and then we get to this line where of course it says so you're going to say the lord to you're going to say to the lord the lord's way is not fair and what ezekiel is getting at is You're saying that because you have it wrong. You think you're just paying the price for the sins of your parents, and in a certain sense you are, because there's consequences to sin. But it's not fatalism. Just because you're off in Babylon. This is part of the point of Ezekiel. Ezekiel begins with this vision of chariot wheels, God's presence on the move. And he's saying, look, just because you're in Babylon does not mean you can't still choose life. You just happen to be in strange circumstances, but you're still free. And I'm still with you. And just because the temple's destroyed doesn't mean you've lost my presence. I'm here. I'm with you. And I'm asking you to make a choice. You don't think it's fair. Well, it's probably not fair. You're in exile. That's a tough break. But, you know, this is the thing I'm unfortunately having to teach my kids as they get older. And kids have this sense of fairness that's just so ingrained in their heads. Right. And you just have to tell them, you know, sometimes life's not fair. But it's how you're going to deal with those situations. How are you going to get up? How are you? Gonna... It's a bummer that that kid is a jerk. How are you going to deal with it, though? That's his problem. That's right. his problem. How are you going to respond? Because it's not fair that he acted that way. But are you going to stand up? Are you going to be holy? Are you going to be righteous? And what Ezekiel is saying is, yeah, no, the Lord's way is not fair. Here, the house of Israel, is it my way that's not fair or rather are your ways unfair? Because you know what? As God, I wish Jehoiakim had not turned his back on me and undid every one of my commandments and every one of my covenants and plunged my people into darkness. Yeah, that wasn't totally fair to me, Israel. But guess what? I am so merciful that I'm going to give each and every one of you another opportunity. It's not me who's being unfair. It's you guys who are unfair because you choose death too often. And I offer you everything. That's what this passage is kind of getting at. Um, I'm starting to get soapboxy. Does that make sense? It does. I, I it's think it's kind of beautiful. It's, it's a
0: tremendous moral. I mean, like in in the deepest sense of saying, like, how do you go through the world? Like, you're not just meant to. Um, uh, you, you can't just live in a fatalism. Yeah. In fact, it's this. This is one of the deepest truths. It, you know, freedom is harder than chains.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Like, and so, absolutely. so
0: mercy actually like forces the issue of freedom. So you're looking at Jehoiakim and you're looking at Ezekiel and you're saying like, it's a- a- actually like, you have to dig deep. Are you not actually being unfair and saying, oh, I have a victim mindset and absolutely. I'm just going to go through this and I, the truth is I'm just a victim of God, I'm a victim of my parents, yeah. I'm these things, versus saying like, no, I'm going to get in it. I'm going to get in the game and I'm going to say like, okay... Out of my freedom, what am I really going to choose today? Am I going to choose life? Am I going to choose death?
1: And with the with the real acknowledgement that yeah, things stink. My parents have sinned. Jehoiakim did plunge us into darkness. Things are bad. There is effervescence, but it's not fatalistic. It's things are really we live in darkness. So where am I going to find the light? Right, and it's a hard thing. But it's an acknowledgement that everything's not super great. Right, and it's not it's not this idea that. Yeah, sorry, I'm about to head in another direction. Then let's remember the mercies of the Lord. Remember the mercy of the Lord, and, and this is what it's or getting Or remember at.
0: your mercies, O, o Lord. O Lord, yes. So let's let's remind the Lord that he's merciful and that, that he does not want to keep us in our hardened hearts.
1: Well, this is what it's getting at, and and I guess I'm, I'm um, I don't know, I'm always attuned to, I, I think I'm thinking very Thomistically. St. Thomas Aquinas taught by beginning with all of the possible ways that someone could refute what he's saying, right? That was his pedagogy. He taught in such a way to say, "Here's a premise. Here's all of the ways that somebody could destroy that premise." Well, he, yeah, you know yeah. I mean, I mean, the scholastic
0: method totally yep. Propo- propose a question and say, "Like, here's everybody else's opinions first. Let's honor right. what the arguments are in in and objections." And then he says, "Like, okay, this is my answer." And then I want to reply out of this right. to honor the real questions yep. that people have. Right. Because because it's a deep like that's the thing about the scholastic method is
1: it's it's an honoring of of divergent opinions. It's beautiful. It's I think we could learn a lot from that in our day and age of not knowing how to engage in dialogue with people. I mean, t- talk about
0: a time that scholastic method could actually be really advantageous when we live in a time of
1: echo chambers. Bishop uh, Robert Barron from California just gave a talk recently at fo- at um, not focus headquarters, Facebook headquarters. Baron did? Yeah, Barron did at Facebook about basically how to argue about religion on the internet and how to do it well. And he brings this up at the end. He's like, we have to take other people's points of view seriously. We have to respond seriously with issues that people bring up. And he, he talks about this. So it's on my mind for that too. But one of the issues I keep hearing is we're talking about you get to choose. You stand up. You choose life or death. That's all true. We have a will and our will needs to respond. However, if the Old Testament teaches us nothing, it's that we actually can't do anything without God's help. And so what our will needs to be what we need to do with our will is say, God, I want to choose life. Help me to do it. And that's, I think, why the response. So this is not a the first reading is not a let's pull yourself up by your bootstraps and get this done kind of a thing. It's saying, no, recognize who you are and the God who who you need. And if you can get that, then you actually will be able to get beyond the fatalism that's facing you. And you'll be able to actually choose life. My my prayer every morning. I've, I've adjusted the prayer of Isaiah um, in my prayer because I just have my own struggles and everything's you know, happening in my own heart and life who said, you know, here I am, I come to do your will. I've shifted my prayer every morning to here I am, Lord, I want to do your will. Mm. I'm not ready to say I've come to do it. I just, I'm ready to say I really want to. I want to want to do what you want me to do. I want to, want to, want to, want to, <laughs> yeah. want to. Who, who, who wrote the book of love, dog? <laughs> but that's, I think, what the response of Psalm is getting at. Remember your mercies, O Lord. Now, the reason I say that the the word—do you know the Hebrew word for remember? Uh, Lavav. Uh, Lavav is heart, which is Um, obviously related. Z. uh, z z z Zakar. Yeah, it's Zakar. Very good. Well done for the people. Hey, thank you very much. Zakar. Remember, when we hear the word "remember" in English, we always think of. Yeah, it's the opposite of forgetting something, right? (laughs) Which is, right? I mean, the the first time Zakar shows up in the Bible, this is my favorite image, the first time Zakar shows up, it's in the story of Noah with the flood. Oh. Remember? And Noah was on the flood, and it's been 40 days, and they're floating around. And it says, And God remembered Noah and i always have this image of like god scrubbing the kitchen counter and he's like oh shoot noah's on the boat on still. The- oh no <laughs> it's not that kind of remember he's like oh no they're still out there dude i totally bonked man i'm sorry <laughs> right. that's not what it means yeah remember means The moment that God will act on someone's behalf. So when it says God remembered Noah, it says, okay, now is the time that I will act on their behalf. Mm. It says it again in Exodus. Remember when Israel was in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, it says God remembered his people. Again, not that he forgot that they were there, but God said, okay, now is the proper time for me to act. You know, and God's time is never our time, and right. Sometimes we get impatient with God's time. It's a difference between what we talk about. We talk about Kairos time and Chronos um, time. Chronos is the time on your watch. It's eleven thirty right now. That's Chronos time. Kairos time means it's time for the podcast. You know, or it's it's time. Why did why did God wait? Until the time that he did to send his son to be born into humanity. Well, isn't it interesting that when Jesus was born, the whole known world was actually speaking the same language for the first time. They were all speaking Greek because the empire had implemented that. Isn't it interesting that the Romans had just built a road system that would actually reach most of the known world? Isn't it convenient that God chose that moment to send his son. Oh, here's a highway for the gospel to go out. Here's a language that everybody can understand. It in. I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a, a different topic, but this this idea that God's timing is always right. And so what the Psalm is saying is, not just remember your mercies, don't forget about them, but act upon them, Lord. Right. You've said that you're merciful, you've promised this, you've told us back in Ezekiel that we can choose life and death. So, zakar us, act, up, act on our behalf. Give us your assistance. It's the same thing that the good thief says to Jesus when he's on the cross. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Not simply, don't forget about that guy that was on the side of you, but speak to the father on my behalf. That is choosing life over death. That is an act of the will saying, God, assist me. And that's where you get the heroes of the Bible. That's where you get the Josiahs who really create change. That's where you get the Davids who write the Psalms, who fall on their knees, who say, this is reality. That's where you get the great saints who say, I'm going that's where you get the St. Therese of Lisieux, mm. who did no, fought no wars, commanded no armies, in charge of no kingdom. But she chose life and death because she said, God is my helper. Right. Anyway, does that make sense? I, that's oh, a bit of a, another soapbox, but you dude, can read. You're, you're on fire, man. Well, you can read the first reading as though it's just like, this is, we're in charge. Right. We're going to get ourselves out of this mess. And the whole point of the Old Testament is you cannot get yourself out of the mess. And once you get that, then I'll get you out of the mess. Which is the point of everything
0: now. Exactly it's, right. It's, it's, it's like, well, I feel like I say this a lot, and sometimes it has meaning, sometimes it doesn't. Is that it's Jesus' savior. We actually yeah, exactly. need somebody to save us. And, right. and, and And the truth is, is when do you need a savior?
1: When you're in trouble.
0: When you need saving. When you need <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, when you're on the boat. When you're on the boat.
1: <laughs> and and you
0: ain't got no paddle <laughs> you
1: ain't got no paddle
0: yeah exactly yeah and you took the shoot you ended up upside down and lost all your teeth man like this is you know that that's what oh
1: you're talking about you're talking about me you're ta- i'm talking about yeah. you and your boat i told father peter about a, a gnarly ki- whitewater kayaking ac- kayaking accident i got into a year a number of years ago yeah and i we lost were, a lot of teeth on that day
0: yeah because we were talking about fake teeth uh, because we were talking <laughs> about tusks and horns and what stuff a this morning weird life we live yeah, it, <laughs> I equivocated tusks and horns today and then uh, falsely somebody, yeah and then somebody called me out cuz people Scott called me out is really the truth <laughs> of it and then he told me about how when he shed his
1: tusks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. The, it actually is, not the tusks but the other stuff <laughs> we were saying is a good segue into Philippians. Yeah,
0: I think I think that uh, the intensity of this podcast is awesome <laughs> cuz I it think we're, I'm
1: just in a huge hurry. <laughs> Because we got, we both got to go places soon.
0: I know, man. We got business to we do. We got business to do. I and mean, we, we got two readings. Yeah, Let's do two readings, readings left. Okay. okay, Philippians. Philippians, the,
1: canonic the hymn. the great canonic hymn. Now, what were we just talking about? What we're suggesting that the read, the the, the responsorial psalm reflecting on the first reading is really saying is. I mean, what, what is the Canonicum? What is Philippians? What is the first reading really getting at? What is the Psalm reminding us of? Reminding, zakar us of. zakar ah, Memoriam. Your power, your greatest strength is when you empty yourself. Your greatest strength is in your emptying. If you want to choose life over death, then choose to die to yourself.
0: Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are pure. Dude, that like, was a
1: great line. You just missed my awesome line. I just thought of it on the spot. Say it again. because If I, you want to choose life over death, then you need to die to yourself. If you want to choose life Life over over death, death then you need to die to yourself. So those who would save their life would lose it. Yes. Jesus says it better. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> he
0: does. I see your point. <laughs> no, no, no. I like no, no, it. I, I like
1: the way that you're saying it. I'm, I'm just tracking. I was trying to like. No, no, it, no, you're
0: right. be with you, bro.
1: You were with me. We're together. But remember, Philippians, what's the context? Paul was Philippians, not exclusively, but a big part of the populace in Philippi- Which we was, talked about last which week. Which we talked about last week was retired Roman military vets. Big, important people in the Roman military- who were probably big and strong and tough and fought for the and laid their lives down and struggling with PTSD. Maybe the Romans Romans it, was was weird. I, I walked. I, wa- I
0: walked by somebody watching the new Ben Hur the other day. Okay, and and I was and since we'd been talking about Philippi, I was watching all these Roman soldiers in mm-hmm. movie form fight, and they would form the phalanx and like yeah the, the phalanx man and like and like there was arrows and they were in Jerusalem and somebody got shot and I was like. I was like, dude, this, I, it was just wild to see. I was, it's just, it's pretty, I mean, dude, soldiering back in the day was rough and tumble. So just
1: imagine telling this to a gladiator. Okay. okay. You're speaking to a massive gladiator. Brothers and sisters, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any solace and love, any participation in the spirit, any compassion and mercy, then complete my joy, oh giant centurion gladiator, by being of the same mind and the same love. United in heart, thinking of one thing. Do nothing. Oh, gladiator, out of selfishness or a vainglory, rather mm. humbly regard others as more important than you, each looking out not for his own interest, but for those of others.
0: Dude, you know, it's really interesting. You talk to modern soldiers um, and that's actually going to be a principle that is utterly essential to their um, to their soldiering life is yeah. that is that you're looking out for the person to the left of you and to the right of you. And that and like right. e- even when I when they had a commissioning ceremony here, they said, um, they said, inv- make sure that you are known and loved. Your job mm. is to make sure that other people know you and love you. Yeah. I mean, that's a paraphrase, but it's yeah, like, yeah. make yourself essential to the person to the left of you and to the right of you. And well, s- s- because because it's precisely this. It's like, then out of knowledge and love, out of, out of a remembering
1: of another, then you actually can live this. Well, just prior to this in Philippians, right before our verse, he actually, I think Paul is describing in spiritual terms the phalanx formation that you mentioned. So yes. the phalanx was something the Roman military was known for. I think the Greeks invented it, but the Roman military really brought power out of it. And it was this idea that you'd have a bunch of soldiers that would create little pods, right? So you'd, you'd kind of buddy up and you'd create either a line or a little box of people. They would all have these giant shields, right, which were usually big enough to cover all of myself and half of the guy next to me. And then he would have a shield big enough to cover all of him and half the guy next to him. And each of these guys in a circle or a square would create this basically impenetrable fortress of shields with each of their spears sticking out in between. So you go into the battlefield with hundreds of these little tiny phalanxes, these impenetrable fortresses coming at you. And yeah, the Roman military is going to conquer the world, right? And that's the imagery Paul uses. But he he says, if you don't, if that if that um, formation breaks, if somebody gets freaked out and makes a run for it, what happens? Well, you don't have an impenetrable fortress anymore. You have a bunch of individuals with exposed shoulders and abdomens, and a bunch of shields that are way too big for them, which are totally going to get picked off.
0: Yeah, if you want to see a visual demonstration of this, you can see the um, uh, minus tier, not minus tiereth, um, the 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 uh, Helms Deep. When the uh, the urukai are trying to take that one door, they're trying to get across it and bring the thing. They. They produce a phalanx, and then mm. Gimli and Aragorn jump across. Oh, Lord of the Rings! Lord I don't of the Rings. think you said Lord of the Rings. Did I say that? Say Lord of the. I'm Rings? not sure, but I'm yeah, yeah. I feel you. Okay, so so th- this is the but, thing: is that that you have to be united and essential to each other.
1: But why? It, it's not just because oh, isn't it nice to get along? Isn't it nice that we can all be friends with each other? It's because if you break that formation and someone doesn't have my back, someone doesn't have my shoulder the enemy is going to pick me off. W- what do we call the devil? We call the devil diabolical, right? Do you remember what the word diabolos literally means?
0: Well, d- dia it's means verb. through. Yeah. Um, lobos means hemisphere. <laughs> like, uh, like um, las lobos.
1: Like That's Spanish. You're mixing languages, <laughs> which is okay. I, I saw you about to play an air guitar. <laughs> it, means, it means to divide. Lobos?
0: Uh, diabolos. Dia means through. through. Lobos would be like lobe, like 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 left and right lobe of the brain. Yeah. So to split the left to, and right.
1: Yeah. Or to divide, one could say. <laughs> no, but yeah, to split. I mean, but, I'm just, you're right. I'm just no, you're doing an ana- right. ana- analytical things. I like it. You're absolutely right. Because Thank that actually gives a great imagery. It truth. splits the right and the left. What does Satan want to do? Splits. He wants to divide that phalanx so he can get in and expose us. He wants to. He wants to divide me from you. He wants me to turn against my pastor and my boss. He wants our parishioners to turn against you. He wants you to turn against the bishop. He wants you to turn against your brother priest. He wants to divide us so that he can come in and pick us off. That's the evil one's strategy. Right. And what Paul is saying is you can't do that. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is actually to humble yourself and to stand, stand, by, and to stand, stand side by side as a church. Right. And that's what the first reading is getting at. That's choosing life, yeah. humbling yourself to this, and choosing. I'm going to stick this out.
0: I'm going to I'm going to build you into uh, the temple built of living stones, or the phalanx with living shields. <laughs> <laughs> the analogy's breaking down. But but then you. But then how, how do you do that? Mm.
1: How do you do that, Father? You know, because (laughs) you empty yourself. Yeah, and that's it. That's it exactly. And that's the cannot. How did Jesus do it? He poured himself out to the point of totality. God became a human being, which is 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 lowly enough, but then he went beyond that and took the form of a slave and a slave who a slave was crucified. The worst, most horrible demeaning punishment that a roman military person could imagine or conceive of you know you know the thing that's so
0: so interesting in in our age is that um power is now like it's just so broadly proclaimed that it's the ideal like that that's actually how i've i've kind of measured our our post-christian age um, because, because, like yeah. y- you look and and like John F. Kennedy's speech, phenomenal. Ask not what can your country do for you, but what can you do for your country. Yeah.
1: I I think I flipped that around. No, but no. Like- ask not. Ask not what your country can do for you but what you can do for your country like
0: like like which is an an entirely like like we're actually living in another way where it's like we live in an age of fame we live in an age of of like how do i express greater and greater power not how do i actually join myself to those around me and and i think that that's the natural consequence of an individualistic culture how do i blend in Not in a
1: bad way, not in the negative way. How How can I be a part of the phalanx? Yes. No, I mean it in a positive sense. Like, how can I just be a little part of the body of Christ? And you, and it's like, and and you empty yourself. I want to be the head. I want to be the big important one, right? I want to be the one that everybody sees. I want to be that front of the phalanx. Well, there's not a front to the phalanx. It's actually round. Yeah, Get sorry, it. I keep going on the phalanx analogy.
0: No, I think that's I think it's it's so right. In case you're wondering, we keep calling it the canotic hymn. It's from uh the word kenosis, right. which means um profound self-emptying, to empty oneself, yeah. So that's that's <sighs> that's where we go and we say, okay, well what does that look like? And that's what brings us to the
1: gospel. It does bring us to the gospel, which is is relatively short and very very straightforward. Yeah, it is. I I don't know, just to make it complicated, because that's what I do.
0: I like your complications.
1: I don't know if we can, well, uh, yes, it's a very simple parable, but it kind of hinges on what came before it. And what came before it is not the reading we had last week. We've jumped from chapter 20 to chapter 21. And right before this, um, there's that that interesting, uh, he's with the Pharisees, he's with the, 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 who's he with? Um, The chief priests and the elders of the people. So he's yeah. with Pharisees and the chief priests and all these folks who are, you know, they're not portrayed in a very good light in the gospel. And they say to him, hey, by whose authority are you doing all this stuff? You're teaching all this stuff. You're performing miracles. Whose authority do you have? Because we're the leaders of Israel. Which is the absolute right question. It's a fair then, question. Then and now. And what does Jesus answer? He doesn't give an answer. Of course, he gives another question, right? He says, well, I'll ask you a question. If you answer correctly, then I'll tell you the answer. Isn't that funny? <laughs> If you give me the right answer, then I'll tell you whose authority I have. And you remember what he says? He says, where was John's baptism from? John the Baptist. Where was his baptism? Was it earthly or was it heavenly? Which is a kind of weird question because on a certain level, John was doing an earthly baptism. It wasn't a sacramental baptism. No. But he was led by God to do this. And so they're like, oh, shoot. Well, what do we say to this guy? If we say... It was just an earthly baptism and all of John's followers who were very vocal and hanging out here, they're all going to come after us. Mm. But if we say that it was, it was he was led by God, then we're going to shoot ourselves in the foot and say, well, he has authority, which means we don't have authority. So we'll say, remember what their answer is? Don't know. We don't know. <laughs> That's where we're landing. That's our official answer. We don't know. It's a good politician answer. And Jesus says, okay, well, I ain't going to tell you either. I ain't going to tell you where my authority came from. And then he turns to this parable, but I think that kind of matters. So uh, now that he's sort of exposed their hypocrisy and their ignorance and their evasiveness, he says, "All right, let me tell you this parable."
0: Well, well it's it, you know, it's it's deep indecision. It's it's saying like, it's deep indecision. That's a good way to put it. I, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, and they were having all of these questions, and they were proposing these really existential, <laughs> deep theological questions from the perspective of hearing it from other people.
1: And say that one more time. They, they were proposing, proposing deep theological existential questions from the
0: from a, as if these are like, hey, I have this friend and they're really oh. considering this thing. But oh, but I this I have a friend, yeah. This okay. thing was, but it's not it's not the typical I have a friend. It's that I've encountered other people who have this question. Oh, and oh I see. Okay. To which I was asked to which I asked, Well, are these your questions? Who do you say that I am? Yeah, like like not not what are other people saying, not what this other thing is. Yeah. And it was and yeah. it was a deeply and I said I'm totally willing to have a sincere conversation with anybody who's sincere but these yeah. are insincere questions. Yeah. This is the insincerity of this I can't speak to. Hmm. So so can we can we speak together about what's real not what's a hypothetical answer to somebody else which is a different academic pursuit entirely. Yes. Right. Which which is good to do yeah, to actually absolutely. examine what are these other perspectives. But when you're talking on this it was a deeply existential conversation with massive passion
1: yeah i bet
0: but but this is where i th- see jesus and and them going right now no. is that they're so passionate and it ex- and it exists in this other way but yet they themselves are unwilling
1: to choose a course they won't choose between life and death they won't choose between life they won't even death. choose death they're just hanging in the middle of the fence right really lousy which i will yes. which
0: jesus says i will vomit you out mm-hmm. of my mouth Blah. i love you when you're
1: hotter when you're and that's him vomiting us out. of his <laughs> Dude, that was,
0: that was real.
1: All right, so here's the parable. He says, okay, there's, is it really a parable? Yeah, it's a parable. He says, there's a guy who has two sons. Man who had two sons. That's a pretty common beginning for Jesus' parables. Um, he goes out to the first and he says, hey, I want you to go and work in the vineyard today. And he says, I will not. I'm not working in the vineyard. I want to sit and play Xbox or whatever. But afterwards, he changed his mind. He's like, oh man, I should really go. And he went right. to the vineyard and he did the work. And then he went to the other son. And he said, I want you to go to the work. Because
0: the, the first guy, is like, he's like, he'll, keep calling, he'll, he'll keep, keep calling me. He'll keep calling me. He'll keep calling me. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll go. I'll, I'll go, go, go. I'll go. I'll go.
1: I'll go. go, I'll go. <laughs> um, and then the second one, he said, Hey, I want you to go work in the field. And he says, Yes, sir. I will go work in the field. But then he doesn't. And he's, he's like, like I'm going to go play Xbox.
0: Yeah, exactly. Can people play
1: Xbox anymore? Am I just dating myself? Is that a thing?
0: PS4, dude. That's what, <laughs> whatever that's what dude. you're doing. Yeah, I mean,
1: there's an there's a Xbox. And he's there. like, So which one actually did the father's will? And they're like, Well, that's obvious. The one who said no originally, but then went and did it. And Jesus says, all right, amen, I say to you, tax collectors and prostitutes, the unclean of the people of Israel, the outsiders, they're going to enter the kingdom before you. Who is the you that he's speaking of? Because we don't, oh, no, it does say it. He's saying it, the you is the chief priests and the elders and the religious leaders. You are the son who's actually not doing the father's will. Just to put a fine point on it. You are the elder son, or you're the second son. You Damn. said you would lead the people. You said you would be shepherds of the people of Israel. You said you would lead and teach. But look, all of these lost sheep of the house of Israel, the fact that there are tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners abundantly tells me that you actually haven't done your job. Not that they simply exist, but they have been cast out and they're not being sought. It, it's, I'm reminded so much of the parable of the lost sheep. Where where is the shepherd who's going to go after the lost one? The Pharisees, the religious leaders, were the ones who had self-declared themselves to be the shepherds of the people. Right. What's the job of a shepherd? To go and find all of your sheep. Jesus is basically saying, and he says this in Luke in the lost sheep, in the last sheep parable, I've done your job for you. You were supposed to be the shepherds of the people. You were supposed to go and seek and save the lost. I have done that for you. And now you're actually sitting here making fun of and mocking the very sheep that you were supposed to protect. You said yes, and then you did not. You said you would do it, and you didn't do it. These people said no. They turned away from God. They followed other paths, but then they heard the voice of the shepherd, and they responded. They listened. They said, oh, I will go. Mm. These are the workers from the parable last week that came late to the table. Yeah. And they said, but we still want to come we want to work we want to be in the vineyard right and guess what the sinners the prostitutes the tax collectors they're going into the kingdom jesus says before the so-called shepherds because the shepherds ain't shepherds anymore i'm the shepherd i've done the job of the shepherds and these shepherds are nothing but predators which he says pretty explicitly later on absolutely which you're like oh that's you uh, can kind of begin to see why he ends up in a cross in a couple days <laughs> right from this point right absolutely like, oh man so choose this day, life or death. Life. Yeah, good, good choice. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, you do, <laughs> and that's what Jesus is saying. They chose yeah. life. Yeah, and it, and don't be. Uh, exactly. And even
0: if even if you wake up in the morning and you say, "I'm going to choose death," then just repent. Like seriously, that's actually the beautiful part. It's uh, that, that, that Ezekiel oh. proclaims for us today is that God's <gasps> mercies in the Psalm. That Remember your mercies, O oh Lord. Don't don't let us just get caught in this. Like, yes. and then and help us to empty ourselves out to actually pour ourselves that we would be become poor for another. Like last week, and that that, that not to get rich on the yes. other, but to
1: say I'll be poor for you. And maybe most importantly, when you have that movement that says maybe I can still choose life. Maybe there's still I chose death. I went the wrong way, and now it's hopeless. I'm done. I'm done for. I'm standing in the parking lot of the Home Depot. This master is coming saying he has work for me, but I'm not worthy of his work. I can't say yes to that. Because I got up late. Because I got up late. I chose the wrong thing. I I, I wasn't ready. Be ready. Get up, get in the truck, and go to the vineyard. Because the master is looking for you. It's never too late. That's the point of all of these. Ah, So, there you have it. So we
0: repent of our sins and we engage the grace of God. Glory be him forever. Alleluia.
1: <laughs> Hallelujah. And we, for our part, will be back next week with a brand new episode. Yep. Working in a vineyard. we will see you then. Bye. Bye-bye. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.